Islanders doing much better five-on-five. Barry Trotz has done a masterful job here. A lot to like from what we've seen from the Islanders so far. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 44 of Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And uh, as we speak, we are three games deep into the first round of the playoffs, and so far the Islanders have yet to absorb a loss. They are on the brink of eliminating the Washington Capitals and Barry Trotz's former team in four games after Sunday's 2-1 overtime win. And to help me break down what we've seen so far and where the Islanders might be going in a couple of short minutes, I'll be bringing in my Newsday teammates, Colin Stevenson and Neil Best, who are also covering this series, and we'll have a, a nice round round table discussion on all things Islanders. Uh, and then a little bit after that, or directly after that, we'll do some Andrew's answers um, based upon the 2-1 overtime victory today, which has followed up a 5-2 win in Game 2 and the 4-2 win in Game 1. And what, what, what you've seen from the Islanders really is just they're a much better team uh, when they're, they're playing 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, the Capitals get another power play goal today. They go 1-for-2 on the power play. Um, but basically, I mean, that's all they're getting. They're, they are not getting much uh five on five uh they got their uh two power play goals in the uh in the first game uh right from tj oshi uh and that was it uh so no five on five goals there and uh they did score a couple uh even strength but it was in a five two loss in game two so two two even strength goals for the capitals so far Islanders doing much better five-on-five. Special teams definitely need shoring up as the Islanders have gone one for 14 so far in this series on the power play and have allowed three goals on 11 power play chances for the Capitals. And we will discuss that all, as I said, with Colin and Neil coming up in a couple of short moments. I hope everyone is enjoying these playoffs. I hope everyone is healthy and uh, getting back into the swing of it. I know it's uh, not always the easiest to kind of settle down as we work. I mean, it is for me since it's my job and I, I have to be in front of the TV. But I know, uh, you know, most most of you hopefully are are, are employed and working in these noon afternoon games on a weekday are not easy. So I thank you for the followers on Twitter and uh, I'm trying to keep everyone informed on what's going on. But like I say, I hope everyone is healthy and doing well. Um, just a couple of short thoughts on, on what I've seen out of the Islanders beyond the five on five. Uh, Semyon Varlamov is just wildly outplaying Braden Holpe in this series, even though Holpe did have a, game, a good game three. Um, it's a decided edge there. I also think the Islanders have a decided edge on the bench. I think Barry Trotz has done a masterful job here uh, keeping the Capitals off balance and uh, out coaching his former associate coach, Todd Reardon. Todd Reardon uh, shuffled his lineup in game three. Uh, not to much effect, really. Um, and, and Alex Ovechkin had the two goals in game two, but otherwise the Islanders doing a pretty good job keeping the always dangerous great eight off the score sheet. So, uh, you know, two huge edges there. And, and I'm also really liking what I'm seeing out of the Islanders' defense. Uh, Adam Pellick had a, a great game three. Um, his pair with Ryan Pulak uh, when, when Barry Trotz has kept the D pairs together. 
uh, and not mixed and match that that's been a very efficient top pair uh getting good time against uh the capitals big guns and and just done a really good job defensively there Andy Green fitting in seamlessly keeping Johnny Boychuk on the bench and uh the Devonte Scott Mayfield uh pairing also chipping in in both ends so uh a lot to like from what we've seen from the Islanders so far and uh, again, you know, at three nothing, nothing is over, as Pluto would say. Um, you know, uh, was it four teams, including the Islanders in '75, have come back from a three uh, zero deficit? Uh, was it the '42 Toronto Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup Final against the Red Wings? Uh, the Islanders in the quarterfinals against the Penguins come back, and, and then they nearly did it against the uh, the Flyers as well. And in 2010, that that great Flyers uh, Bruins uh, uh, quarterfinal where uh, not only did the Flyers overcome a three nothing series deficit but they overcame a three nothing deficit in game seven um, and then in 2014 the Kings who went on to win the Stanley Cup uh, nearly got knocked out by the Sharks in the first round uh, before rallying and then uh, I, they did not lose much the rest of the way also five other teams have gone down 3 nothing and been able to tie the series at 3-3, but lost in Game 7. So uh, the overall picture is the Islanders, you know, needless to say, with a 3-0 series lead, uh, very much controlling the series, very much looking like they will be moving on, as they did last season, uh, into the second round. And again, last year, uh, last season, uh, Islanders sweep the Penguin in the first round and then had that lengthy 10-day uh, break before being swept by the Hurricanes in the second round. And a uh, little bit of a statistical anomaly that the Penguins won the Stanley Cup in 2017, two years later, swept in the first round by the uh, Islanders. And now uh, the Capitals, who won in 2018, two years later, could be swept in the first round uh, by the Islanders. Uh, you, you love those kind of stats. But, uh, you know, here to discuss that and, and more regarding this series like i said i'd like to bring in my uh two very good uh friends and newsday teammates colleagues uh the very 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 fine hockey writer uh uh colin stevenson and the very 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 fine uh, media beat reporter and columnist neil best and here's our discussion on what we've seen and what we think we're going to see i'm joined now by team newsday Colin Stevenson and Neil Best, who are with me covering this Islanders-Capitals playoff series and as far as the Islanders go. And uh, let me start with uh, you, Neil. Are you surprised by anything yet? Well, I'm surprised by them being up three games to none, obviously. I mean, that's not something I expected coming in. I mean, you know, the Islanders are getting back to what we kind of saw early in the season during their 17-game point streak. And you know, we've seen enough of this group to not be surprised they're capable of this, but I certainly didn't expect it to uh, look this – well, it hasn't been easy, but, I mean, I did not expect 3 let's put it that way. Colin, any surprises for you from the Capitals' side of what we're seeing? Yeah, uh, I have to say I'm surprised that Brayden Holtby hasn't been as good as I expected him to be. I, you know, as I said it on Twitter, I said, you know, obviously Neil and I didn't pick the Islanders to win this series. And, and, and I, I said on Twitter after game one that if I'd have known that Holtby was going to be as bad as he was in game one, I would not have picked the Islanders to lose in five games. And someone replied to me on Twitter, and, and I give this guy crap. I don't know what it is, but he said, Holtby's been bad all year. So that's on me for, for not realizing that. And, and, and this guy was absolutely right. I mean, Holtby has not been good this season. And uh, it's just, you know, me not doing my homework and knowing that, you know, I, I should have known better. Uh, but yeah, so that, that did catch me by surprise a little bit. Well, as it stands now, as we talk, the Islanders have gone ahead 3 nothing with the 2-1 overtime victory in Game 3 on Sunday. And I would say, that, you know, yeah, Holtby has had a rough season and, and it's kind of, Interesting, the Islanders in the in the qualifier also faced a goalie in Sergei Bobrovsky, who kind of had an up and down season. I, I would say 
game three was without question Holtby's best game of the series yes, yes. so far. Agreed. Yeah. Game, game one was, you know, that's when, uh, you know, Colin had that tweet, like you said, but <laughs> game one was, it was actually kind of shocking. You know, I mean, you know, hope he's, we've all seen him uh, enough now to expect better, even if he had an off season. I mean, uh, he really looked, well, I, like I tweeted, he really looked like just some rec league goalie they've gotten off the street <laughs> on, on game one. Now, obviously, he's gotten better since then, but yeah, the Islanders have clearly had the edge in Golden. Well, let's talk about that. Semyon Varlamov, uh, you know, has been – he has not been called upon to be spectacular much because of the way the Islanders are playing defense. But when he has to, he's made the big saves. Case in point, just before Matthew Barzell scores the overtime winner, he stayed, he stops Jacob uh, uh, Verana yeah. in overtime. And, and what, what have you seen in Varley's game, uh, Neil? One thing I always like about his style, and maybe it's just because of my personality, but just the sort of the calmness of his game where he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't seem out of control. He just seems to, you know, make a hard save look easy. And uh, he just seems very comfortable. I mean, I know the guy's been around a while. It's not like he's a kid. Uh, but just, uh, you know, there's no question that he, he projects, uh, you know, calmness and confidence. And he's, a, you know, he's been a good goalie all season too. Like, you know, it kind of gets lost a little bit because the Islanders were not doing well, you know, in the period leading up to the to the NHL pause. But if you look at his numbers, you know, they're pretty good. I think they would, the Islanders would have signed on for the numbers that, that he had, you know, when they signed him up. So, I mean, I suppose this, this shouldn't be a surprise for us, especially with the way the Islanders have been playing defense. So given what the Islanders have done against the Capitals so far, uh, you know, and I know the predictions you guys made on this series, we can, you know, move past that. (laughs) Yeah. And it made us make predictions. What do you want? (laughs) You know, last year I took a lot of guff for picking the Islanders to beat the Penguins in five and they won in four, but I'll own this one. I picked, I got to own this, this mess up. Yeah. Well, I I mean, to be honest, I kind of, like didn't call this one right either because I thought this was, you know, and it could still be this, but you know, I had the Islanders in seven and I thought this was really going to be a back and forth series. And, and I thought to me, the tipping point might be Barry Trotz's familiarity with the Capitals. Um, you know, I know he's never going to say anything, but Colin, how much do you think, this is going to mean to Barry if the Islanders can beat the Capitals, if they can continue to beat the the Capitals in this fashion, and knowing that since Barry came to the Islanders, the Capitals will not have won a playoff series. Yeah, no, of course that's going to be huge for him. I mean, look, he he didn't, you know, he he wasn't clamoring to get out of Washington. I mean, he would have stayed. He had just won the cup. Um, he would have stayed, but they, they saw an opportunity. They wanted Todd Reardon to, to take over, and, and they kind of let him go. They, they let Barry go. They weren't going to fire him or anything, but he was out of contract, and, and they wanted to, to make a change to Todd Reardon. And so, you know, if, if you're Barry, I mean, you have to be feeling some kind of way that they didn't want to just say, hey, you did a great job. You want us to cup. You know, what do you want? And, and, you know, and, and to be honest, I mean, look at the situation that Barry came into with the Islanders. I mean, he, he came into a team at that time, uh, John Tavares was still on the team. Well, he wasn't still on the team. He, was, he had not yet signed with Toronto. So, you know, the, the idea was to, to bring Barry in here and, and try and, you know, he had just hired Lou Lamorello. You bring in Barry Trotz and you try and convince Tavares to stay. And if he didn't stay, you know, you know your roster wasn't looking all that great. So, I mean – you know, Trotz took this job not thinking he was signing on to a team that was going to go win the Stanley Cup, you know, a second year in a row for him. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was probably not a move that he wanted to make, but he made because the Capitals forced him into it. So, yeah, if he can, if he can you know, beat the Capitals in any way, shape, or form, and, and if he can sweep them even, um, that, that's got to be really, really sweet. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, he – He's he's outcoached he's outcoached uh, Reardon to this point. I mean, you know, he does so many things, and and Neil, I know you wrote about this at some point. You know, he's he's he does so many things that are that you look back on it, they're really smart. Like, you know, one of the things that that kind of struck me is 
after game one, which was so super physical and, and you know, uh, Tom Wilson going ape and, and, and beating up Anders Lee and, you know, Anders Lee being a, a marked man and all that, you know, I would naturally have assumed that you would dress Ross Johnson in game two uh, and expect another physical game. And no, Barry didn't do that. He kept the same lineup as he had in game one. Um, and there was nary a hit in game two, you know, I mean, I, Tom, Tom Wilson ran around and hit a bunch of people in the first period. And after that, he was never heard from again. And so that's just a matter of, of, of Barry reading the situation, reading his own team, reading the other team and, and, and making the right call. You know, sometimes I, sometimes I think about how three years ago you had said, Oh, now it's, we're kind of used to the fact that Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz are running the Islanders. But three years ago, you know, it just it wouldn't have seemed like an obvious. You know, the Islanders are not, you know, known as a sort of this glamour franchise that can attract big name people to run the franchise. You know, this Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz thing so far is 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 obviously working out great. But I think that it, again, it seems normal now. But three years ago, if someone had told you these guys would be running the team now, it would have been like, really? You know, yeah. that's <laughs> sure. <laughs> So, I mean, the, the, the one thing in the playoffs, as we all know, is it just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. And right. this is, you know, it, it's weird to think about, but this is really still just the first round. I know the Islanders have had a series before this, but we're still in the first round right. of the NHL playoffs. What, what do the Islanders need to do better going forward? Well, well, I mean, obviously, I'll say the obvious one first so Colin has to think of something more creative. <laughs> I'll say the power play. How about that? <laughs> what, one for 14 is not getting it done for you, power, power play needs to be better. But, you know, it, it sort of speaks to what the perceived weakness of the Islanders has been last year, this year, moving forward. You know, that lack of a – they don't have Alex, Alex Ovechkin or Connor McDavid or, you know, they don't have this kind of guy, although – in overtime, obviously, Matthew Barzell looked like one of those guys. But that's the question, and that speaks to the power play, and it speaks to the team, you know, the larger picture of the team. Can you win a Stanley Cup without that big, you know, that big sniper you can count on? And I guess we'll see. I mean, so far, so good. But that's the, that's the biggest question mark to me. You know, it can't be discounted that the, one of the things the Capitals do well is the penalty kill. They've got Carl Hagelin. And, you know, Holtby has played reasonably well on the, on the penalty kill uh, with the shots he has seen uh, on the Islanders' power play. Um, and, and Barry Trotz, after game three, was saying, you know, we're both making adjustments in a playoff series. You're seeing tendencies. And, you know, he still has faith that moving along the power play is going to start potting some goals. Colin, you seen any evidence of that? Uh, the, the last power play they had today was better. Um, although, uh, wasn't that the one where he put the fourth line guys out to, at the end and, and they, and they, were, they, they were the best penalty power play guys. So. Yeah. So, so that's, so yeah, but, but I mean, listen, your power play is only as good as the last power play. Right. And so <laughs> in the last game and you and I, Andrew, we talked about this and, and, uh, we had a little bit of an unfortunate, uh, headline situation because of the way I wrote my story based on deadlines. And, and for the listeners, what that is, is I was, I was going to write about the power play and how the power play had gone one for five in the first two periods. And yes, it had the one goal, but the four, the four power plays that he didn't score on, it was just dreadful. And so I start writing the story about how awful the power play is. Uh, and in a one-goal game, they get, you know, they have to kill two penalties in the third period, and the penalty killers do a great job. And so I kind of threw that in there. Well, the power play was terrible, but the penalty killers saved them. And I, and I guess ultimately uh, that didn't go over well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I was able to save it at the end and, and rewrite the whole thing and make it a special teams combined thing. But, but to get back to the original point, Neil's point, is the power play is not good. And the penalty kill gave up a goal again today. I mean, you know, one for two, I believe, right? So the penalty kill numbers are not real good. And the power play numbers are dreadful. So both of those things, I would think, are going to have to – and again, you know, we shouldn't assume that this series is over. Just, just because it's 3-0 doesn't mean it's over yet. But um, should the Islanders get through this series and move on to the next round, that is something that they will have to fix is, is, is both – the power play and the penalty kill. You know, speaking of Collins game two sidebar, I've all for decades I've advocated 
that we not get paid at all for covering day games, like a noon game. But <laughs> we, double, we, we get paid double for eight o'clock games. Like that's, that's completely fair to me. Don't, today, today I didn't need to get paid, but Tuesday night for game four, I want double. Well, uh, no, speak for yourself. I had wicked writer's block today. After oh, the oh, okay. You're a hockey writer. You fought through it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and as we go along here, there will be more and more 8 p.m. games. Yeah, you know, not, in the games. Stanley Cup final, there's not going to be a lot of noon games. No, probably not a lot of noon games in the final. Nope. Um, let, let, let's go through the, the, the Islanders' lines. We'll go one through four. Um, the, the, the top line, Matthew Barzell, Anders Lee, and Jordan Everly. What do you like out of that line so far? How could you not like it? You yep. know, Anders Lee scores a goal a game. He's yep. the original goal a game guy. Um, and, uh, you know, and Everly he hasn't scored in, in, in the last two games, but he scored in the first game. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's producing. He's a guy that, you know, um, looks to be one of those guys. And, and I don't know if he was before he got to the Islanders. Uh, his numbers suggest otherwise. But, you know, with the Islanders, he's been a guy who seems to elevate his game in the playoffs. So, I mean, I like both of those guys. And then the other guy is only Barzal, who scored the winner today. So, I mean, you, you got to like it. Um, you know, the, the, you know and, I mean, I don't know about you, Neil. I mean, you've, you've you know, you trashed Barzal today, didn't you? No. <laughs> no, you did not trash Barzell. No, no. Barzell, I wrote what I, I wrote what he is, which is an unpredictable force of nature, sometimes for good and sometimes for not. I'm just yeah. teasing. No, well, he's he's uh, he's a unique player, but that's one of the for some, like I said, mostly for good, but not always. But the thing that I one thing I like about that line is how different those three players are. I mean, you have you know. Right. Anders Lee is a low post center, and Matthew Barzell is a you know Ray John Rondo crazy point guard, and then you have Everly's kind of a reliable shooting guard. So you know, I just I think that they're drastically contrasting styles. It's kind of interesting, actually. You know, uh, interesting stat on Anders Lee, who did score, who has three goals, one in the, each of the first three games of this series. Um, they flashed the graphic that in the first seventeen career playoff games the captain has played in he only had one goal and that was an empty netter so uh you know Anders finally getting rewarded for uh kind of his meat and potatoes work down by the uh by the goal line I want to get to Adam Pellick in a minute um and and the defense but let's continue through the lines The, the second line I think we can agree the Brock Nelson in between Anthony Beauvillier who actually was held off the score sheet Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. In the postseason, and Josh Bailey, I think we can agree that's probably been the Islanders' best line uh, up to this point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Brock Nelson is a very interesting player to me because he's, you know, both both on the ice and off the ice, like in real life. He always seems like he's just not – he's never, you know, agitated. He just seems like he's living <laughs> through life – you know, and, and that serves him well as a player, and he's, I don't know him that well, but he seems to be that kind of person, too, where he's just kind of very calm and just kind of imperturbable, and, and, and that's, that's just the way he plays, and I think it serves him really well. I'm sorry, did you say imperturbable? Imperturbable. Is that too big of a word for a hockey podcast? <laughs> I don't know about the hockey podcast. It's big for okay. me, though. Oh, I'll save that for baseball. <laughs> save it for baseball. That's right. You know, one guy who seems on the verge of actually getting a few goals here is Derek Broussard, who keeps taking yeah. shots. And, 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 you know, Jean-Gabriel Pajot's third line, uh, Pajot has been winning a lot of face-offs, and, you know, he's playing on both special teams. And Pajot has kind of been as advertised when they got him. But Brass, Brass is shooting the puck. He's going to the, to the net a lot. Um, he's, he's on the power play. And he just looks frustrated a little bit. Uh, you know, I think, you know, and I thought about this beforehand, you know, when, when we were looking at teams coming out of the, out of the break, out of the, the stoppage, um, I thought that the Islanders probably benefited greatly, um, probably more than anyone from the stoppage. I mean, you know, Columbus probably, Columbus did certainly. I mean, they yeah. get Seth Jones back. And, but I think the Islanders, you know, were going so poorly toward the end of, uh, of play there um, that they got a nice 
four month break um, and, you know, kind of got themselves, you know, that negative momentum halted and, and get a, get a fresh start. And I think that kind of, you know, plays in with Broussard as well. I mean, you know, Broussard really things weren't going so well for him toward the end. Um, and then they, you know, they go out and they get Pajot, who essentially replaces him as the, as the center on that third line. Right. Although it's another French guy and maybe that helps him out. And, um, uh, but, but I think, you know, having that mini training camp, as, as you wrote about, uh, uh, it, it was good for Pajot to have that mini training camp and get to know the guys. I think it was good for Brassard too, to kind of develop some chemistry with Pajot. And I think, you know, I think that line is, that whole line, I think has been, has impressed me a little bit in what they did. What they did certainly in game two with, with that, that crazy four check um, uh, at, at the end there. Um, that, that whole line is, 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 looks like it's due to bust out. And, and I think, you know, you know, you mentioned Rossard as an individual, but I think all of them, even even your buddy Uncle Leo, I thought had a really good game today. So um, that whole line, I think, is doing well, and 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 certainly, I wouldn't be surprised, and, and none of us should be if Rossard should you know come up with a big one now and again. And, and Neil, how much more do the Islanders look like the Islanders with with a healthy Casey Sezikis on the fourth line, with a healthy Cal Clutterbuck doing what he's doing, and the you know, even Matty Martin missed some time this year. And, and that fourth line was only together 19 of the 68 games. And, and I think, you know, the last maybe two, three games is really you, you're starting to see exactly why Barry Trotz dotes on that line so much. Yeah, and I, I know we're obviously used to this now, but still sometimes it amazes me when you see the last two, three minutes of a playoff game when they have their fourth line out and the other team's fourth line is, you know, in the shower. So, I mean, you know, so that obviously speaks to that. It was interesting how he's giving Peugeot some time instead of Martin because, you know, obviously Peugeot brings some more skills to it than Matty Martin does in some situations. But, yeah, I mean, of course, that's a great uh, luxury for them to have. But, you know, just in the bigger picture, if you're talking about them being together, and this applies to the whole league, I guess, not just the Islanders. But obviously nobody wanted this hiatus. But one of the benefits of it is, you know, these teams entering the playoffs healthier than in the history of the playoffs. You know, all these teams with their players back. And, uh, you know, obviously that's better for the game to have all, everybody playing. You know, I mentioned Adam Pellick before as, as we look at the defense a little bit. I mean, this guy, he's very sublime. He just keeps making brilliant plays that, you know, sometimes don't show up in the score sheet. Or if you, it's kind of the if you blink, you miss it type of plays. But he made a play behind uh, the net today. I think he stripped, uh, I think it was Tom Wilson uh, of the puck. I, I might be incorrect on that. But, but the, the Capitals were almost into their cycle. And with, with, with not much movement, Adam Pellick just kind of, you know, turned it around, got it in transition going the other way. He makes a really good pass to Anders Lee for the Islanders' first goal, you know, finding uh, Anders Lee at the right post from the left point. And, uh, you know, you talk about why the Islanders benefited from that hiatus. And, you know, Adam Pellick on January 2nd, you know, injures his Achilles tendon, and everyone in the world thinks he's done for the season, but no one in the world thought the hockey season <laughs> would extend into August. And, uh, you know, Barry was talking after the game today just about, you know, with more and more reps, Adam Pellick is getting better and better, um, you know, as he settles back into, you know, daily game-by-game -game life. And, uh, you know, to me, he, he may be the most important Islander on the ice right now. I think you can make a case for that, but I, I thought it was interesting. The, the, it really drove home to me how long it's been that hiatus was when I asked Pellick the other day about whether he feels 100% now that he's finally tested it out in games. And he was kind of like, I mean, I've been skating for months. It's like no big deal. Like, we're thinking, <laughs> you know, you, you got, like you said, the guy went from out for the season to like, yeah, of course I feel fine. I've been skating for months. You know, it's like, oh, okay. I guess it's been a while. That, that pass he made to, you know, that pass he made to Lee for that goal was a great pass, obviously. But I was, th you know, that that situation made me wonder if in a normal arena with 20,000 people, does Pellick hear Andres tapping his stick on the skate as clearly? Because, that, you know, that, that was, that was t to hear it that clearly was fascinating and only is going to happen in an empty arena. 
You know, I, I was thinking about it, um, you know, like I mentioned, it was Adam's 26th birthday uh, for game three. And, and I'm wondering, like, I look at Adam Pellick and I, I, I see a man, you know, I, I see a guy, you know, who's established in life and his career, and I see him as a mature adult. And then my daughter turned 24 two ah. days prior to that. And, and I love her and she's mature and she's off to law school. And, and I still, you know, I still see her as a child, you know. <laughs> I'm trying. I, I thought about that when I was writing my column about Colin's buddy, Matt, Matt Barzell today. Yeah. <laughs> 23, you know, he's in between my two daughters' ages. And yeah, it really kind of makes you remember. Yeah. Again, yeah, my daughters are grownups. I get it. But they still are, are, are works in progress, much like Matthew Barzell is. <laughs> so that was the uh, get off my lawn <laughs> segment of the old man. Pod. All that says is that both you guys are old. That's what we it's have. Like. We have we have veteran hockey writers. Yes. <laughs> Colin still has uh, kids in high school. So. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I do. Good. Hey, um, just looking at a, at a bigger picture. Um, was there any surprise for either of you when uh, you, you, you hear that Tuka Rask is opting out um, of the playoffs uh, before the Bruins' last game? Yeah, huge surprise. I mean, yeah. it's not, not the sort of thing that you expect from hockey guys. You figure that they're all in all the time. Uh, and, you know, of course, we have to be fair. We have, we have no idea what, what, you know, what pressures Tuka Rask is under, uh, um, and, and, you know, we certainly can't say that what he did is not the right thing to do. I'm sure it's the right thing to do for him, but it is, it, it has to be surprising, you know, to, to find anyone to leave, um, at that, you know, uh, you know, so suddenly, um, on a game day, right. And, and, uh, and you're the goalie. <laughs> so it's, it's really tough. I mean, if he was a, you know, if he was the fifth defenseman, it'd be one thing. But I mean, if you're the starting goalie, that's 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 a tough one. So yeah, it was it was a shocker to me. Yeah, the time. I mean, the yeah, definitely surprising, obviously. But yeah, you throw in the timing and the position and the team and yeah, I mean, but but you know, you have to give a guy the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we've seen situations in other sports where, you know, I don't want to get into UN assessment as a situation, but I mean. <laughs> For the most part, for the most part, you have to give these guys the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. So you have to respect it. And everybody around the league and on his own team seems to be taking that position, which is, but that doesn't change the fact that in hockey terms, it was shocking. Yeah, talking to the Capitals and the Islanders on, uh, I think the news came down on Saturday. You know, everyone said that they respected the decision and, you know, they understood the pressures. And, at the same time, everyone, uh, you know, T.J. Oshie on the Capitals and uh, Anders Lee, uh, you know, they both kind of said, you know, you should respect him for making that decision. They understand how tough a decision is it was, and it was not a decision that they think they could have made now that they're in the bubble and competing for their teams. And, uh, you know, I, I did find it interesting talking to Barry um, about that situation. He made it clear that Lou Lamarillo spelled everything out which is what Lou does there's no black and white you know there's there's it's all black and white with Lou there's no gray area um and, and Lou spelled it out you know the, the the commitment needed to go into that bubble and not just the commitment needed from the players but from the athletes families from their wives their moms their dads just everyone in their circle, the, the commitments needed from everyone. And it seems like Luke kind of laid it on the line to the team that, you know, if you're thinking about opting out, do it now, not later. Stuff changes. We don't know what happened right. with this guy. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Know what, something must have changed in his life. I don't, I don't know. So, so the Islanders are up 3 nothing, And last year, they, uh, they, they sweep the Penguins in the first round. And uh, it, it, if they can sweep the Caps here, a little bit of an interesting statistical anomaly that the Islanders two years <laughs> in a row will have swept the team that won the Stanley Cup championship two years prior in right. the first round. That's, uh, that's, what, that's what people follow Andrew's Twitter feed for, is information. <laughs> 
I, I think it's for my comments on BoJack Horseman, really. But. Oh, okay. We, bin we binged that during the during the uh, lockdown. Yes. I binged that during the lockdown. Yes, we had BoJack uh, discussions, and I'm finally getting over the last few episodes, and I can... <laughs> I can uh, I can start thinking about the series again, but um, uh, what was my point before? I don't know. I tried to distract. They, they sweep and they swept the penguins. Okay. And, so yeah, so they sweep. Last year they sweep the penguins in, in four games, and then they have this ten day break, and they play the Hurricanes, and they get swept. They they, they just couldn't flick that switch back on after such a long break, and the Islanders have a chance to be the first team now to advance to the second round if they can complete this sweep. What, what do you think they have to do differently, if anything, this time around, if, if they are staring at another long break before they play a second round game? There's two big differences from last year. First of all, it'll be a, it should be a slightly shorter break just because the games are condensed more. But, you know, the big difference obviously is they're just playing ping pong with each other for a week and not going home. So the, the dynamics of the break are completely different. I don't know if it's better or worse. It might, I would think it would be worse. I don't know. I mean, at least they're together together playing ping pong and watching TV as opposed to being home and back to normal life. Like, uh, it's a challenge either way, but I, I think it might be better this way to, to stay focused on, on, the, on the job. I don't know. I mean, they get to, they would get to, you know, walk over to the arena and skate. I mean, not skate, scout rather, whoever they're going to end up playing next. But the thing is, the thing that the other thing that's different, Neil, is that it's not bracketed anymore. So they, they don't know they're going to play the winner of this other series. I mean, right. it could be, you know, they don't know who, who they would play. It would depend on, on, you know, who wins which series and, and, you know, who wins the other series and, and, and how they all um, <clears throat> the rebracketing ends up working out. So, I guess you'd be scouting teams, and you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to narrow it down and say we're going to play one of these two teams. You'd, you'd have to just be watching games. You'd have to be watching all the other six teams that are that are still playing. Colin, going forward, who's the most important? If you take Semyon Varlamov out of it, who's the player you're watching most going forward for the Islanders right now? I, I have to say Barzal. Yeah, okay. um, because, you know, I, I think it's exactly what Neil wrote. And, you know, Neil, I was teasing you before, but I think what you wrote is, is exactly right. I mean, we the guy's immensely talented. We don't always see it, you know, and he, he doesn't always, you, you know, he's, he's just not, you know, the, the great the thing about Connor McDavid, he's there every game. Right. And I, I don't know that I've seen that. Uh, you know, I, I, I happen to, you know, I happen to live in a house where, where my son is a huge Islander fan. And we, and we, we talk about this stuff all the time. Um, and he is a, um, you know, he has more faith in Barzal than I have, you know, uh, than I have had, I should say. Um, I need to see it from him every game. I, I, I need to see him, you know, make the kind of impact that we, we expect from him every game or, or, you know, or almost every game. And I can't, I can't have a situation where, you know, uh, they're going into overtime and you're saying, well, you know, Bailey's going to score it or uh, Eberle's going to score the winner or somebody. You know, I need, I need Barzal to be the guy that is the first, the first name off, off your lips. And, 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 and what I'm getting at is, you know, he's the center on the first line, so he's going to draw the first defenseman in every game. And so if, if he's going to live up to what I expect him to live up to, and I hope that he can live up to, he's going to have to elevate his own game. So that's, so that's where I'm going is that that's, that's who I'm paying most attention to. Can he elevate his game to get the Islanders to the next level? All right, Neil, Varley's off the board and Barzy's off the board. Yeah, no, I, first of all, I agree. I would have said Barzell, and that was a very well put analysis of the Barzell situation. But so I, so I won't say him. But I, I actually, I, I'll say Broussard only because he's such an interesting wild card as a guy who, if he got going, would just give you a whole other dimension. I'm not saying he he has to for them to succeed. I'm just saying that if he did go off, that would be a huge – then you really have a, a, a pretty serious group of weapons that's well spread out. So I'm going to say he's an interesting wild card they could use. Big game brass. That's what they called them with the Rangers and uh, and, and – 
and also and and if I got to take a player, um, you know, I, I I think I will take Pajot, um as a guy just because of what I mentioned. He, he's playing on both special teams. He's known as a scorer. The Rangers can certainly attest to how good a playoff player he is. And this is exactly why the Islanders acquired this guy, uh, you know, for the playoffs. I mean, and also for the next six seasons, basically. But he just lengthens out their lineup. If you look at it, you know, if you equate it to a baseball lineup, you know, the Yankees have a really deep lineup, one through nine. The Mets are not as deep, one through nine. You know, acquiring J.G. Pajot lengthens the Islanders out one through 12 and just gives them four lines. And, and you mentioned it, you know, towards the end of game three, uh, I think the Caps were starting to suck a little wind there because they had to shorten it down to three lines because Todd Reardon was not going anywhere close to his bottom, you know, bottom three forwards. Whereas the Islanders really, you know, they're playing the the Casey Sezikis line in the final minutes of the game, and even uh, even their deeper de defensive core made a difference in that game because John Carlson was on the ice for 28 minutes when yeah. Barzell skated around him for the winning goal. The Islanders did not have anybody playing 28 minutes. No, no. All right. What do you think of uh, Andy Green, uh, Andrew? I'd like uh, the old man with the gray beard stepping in. <laughs> Always been a huge, huge Andy Green fan. Uh, you know, I got to cover him with the Devils. And uh, I think I've told this story when I – and, again, this is a Johnny Pajama moment. But when I made the switch <laughs> from the Rangers beat to the Devils beat, um, the first day, really, I was on the Devils beat was their breakup day. Um, it was John Hines's the end of his first season. And I kind of went into that dressing room cold. You know, I, you know I, I didn't really know anyone in the room. Um, you know, and Andy was the captain of the Devils, and he kind of pulled me aside, and, you know, the PR staff had done a good job of saying I was going to be taken over, uh, you know, as the Devils beat writer for Tom Galitti, and the, the players knew it, so they kind of knew who I was. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys, Mike Camilleri, but specifically, Andy Green pulls me aside and he chatted with me probably for about 15, 20 minutes on breakup day. And it was basically anything you need or anything you want or anything we can do to make you feel more comfortable, just let me know. And I've never forgotten that from Andy. I just, and, and, and that's off the ice. On the ice, he's just, you know, he's, he's not that guy that's going to be flashy or do crazy things. And he has, you know, he has far from the hardest shot from the point or from anywhere but he's just so effective and he's so smart that um it was going to take a lot to keep Johnny Boychuk out of the Islanders lineup and and I think Barry Trotz has become a Andy Green fan very very quickly but as I as I look uh, the the sand is running through the island <laughs> here and we're going to wrap this up and uh, I just want to thank Team Newsday here for uh, for helping me out on the podcast and uh, with the coverage. Uh, Colin, thank you so much. And Andrew, it's always my pleasure, man. I know that my man Johnny Pajamas is, is not loving it when I'm on, but I love it, man. It's just great talking hockey with you. And Neil, all the if best. The, if the Islanders uh, sweep and there's a week off, we have to have a Newsday hockey writer at ping pong tournament. <laughs> I'm terrible at ping pong. Oh, not for money. All right, guys. Thank you so much for chipping in on this episode. And uh, I will talk to you probably manana. And again, thanks to Neil and Colin for taking the time. Uh, it's It's been busy for all of us uh, covering the series, even though we're not on site up in Toronto. Uh, in a lot of ways, it, it sort of makes it more difficult. Uh, things are a little more spread out, and uh, you're kind of, uh, you know, beholden to, to other, you know, the schedules and when the Zoom calls are and... Uh, Coordination is not as easy as if you're working together, but uh, Colin and Neil, always fun to uh, join up together and, and work together. I, I really enjoy that, and uh, I really enjoy talking hockey with them. And now I'm going to talk a little bit of hockey with you, the Islander fans, as you submit your questions for Andrew's Answers. 
It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. There are kind of questions all across the board here, so I'm just going to scroll down and uh, uh, blurt out whatever comes to mind as I see these questions. NV says, Andrew, you've talked previously about how Lou Lamorello felt the next CBA could include the possibility of 19-year-old Canadian juniors such as Noah Dobson being allowed to play in the AHL, given the scenario of 2020, was that left off the table in this new CBA? And uh, yeah, I did not hear anything about that in this new CBA. Um, And again, when Lou was talking that he was confident uh, that sort of loophole where a player like uh, Noah Dobson, who is a Canadian junior, was not eligible for the AHL this season, uh, but a but a, a college player, you know, or would be uh, at the same age. So Lou felt that loophole was going to get closed up in the new CBA. He was very confident, but then again, Lou was talking you know, before he knew how this CBA was going to be negotiated. And it was negotiated in tandem with the return to play format. And uh, both things had to get done at the same time. There was a, 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 you know, instead of having two years to work on this, they had two, three months to work on this. So, uh, you know, maybe that is something that is revisited down the future. And maybe the next time I get to talk to Lou, I, I can ask him about that. But as of now, yeah, I think it's status quo in the new CBA regarding that. Rye says, one player that hasn't seemed like his normal self is Sezikis. He's had less ice time in the series than normal and seems less involved. Any lingering effects of his injury or is he less visible because the third line can be relied on more with Peugeot? And I'm looking at the game three stats here and Sezikis played 1335 and I guess... You know, the surprise to me as I go across was uh, that included 53 seconds of shorthanded time. Um, and the Islanders had two penalty kills. And I would expect maybe Casey's time on the, on shorthanded to be a little bit uh, higher than that. Uh, Leo Komarov had 154 shorthanded and uh, Jean-Gabriel uh, Pajot had 147. So in a way, yeah. Casey is losing a little bit of playing time there uh, with Pajot in. And, uh, you know, the the fourth line, I I, I would agree, the fourth line to me was kind of quiet in that that Florida qualifying series. Um, I I think, you know, to me as a collective, and and I've really liked what I've seen out of Clutter. And, uh, you know, Matty Martin, uh, he took one interference penalty in game three that was not great uh, and missed a bit of the first period um, as a result of uh, blocking a couple of shots, uh, one off his knee, one off the, his inner skate uh, on a shift in the first period. So he he was limited to four shifts in the first period today. But overall, I, I, I've liked what I've seen from Sezikis's line uh, more in this Washington series. I, I, I do think they, you know, they're being hard on the bodies. And uh, I, I don't think at this point there are any lingering effects uh, from Casey's injury when he had his uh, laceration from a skate blade on February 11th. Um, he is not indicated he has, but I, I do agree Pajot's uh, presence in the lineup, as we discussed with Colin and Neil, has sort of lengthened the forward depth. And, uh, you know, perhaps Casey loses, uh, you know, a minute or so there. Let's see. Brian Gill says, how is the television contract revenue being split for the playoffs? So the teams that go further given a greater share? I'm curious because the league is so heavily dependent on this from an operating standpoint. And uh, my, my understanding of this is that the television contract is shared amongst the 31 teams. I have not seen anything or, or been told otherwise. I, I don't think this is, uh, you know, the further you go, the more money uh, you, you're going to get. Um, I, I think the NHL uh, wanted to get these playoffs going for overall financial health, um, but uh, I don't have a definitive on the television contract. Uh, maybe that's something that I could have asked Neil if I'd uh, uh, seen this question in advance. I, I will try and get an answer for you on that, Brian, um, a definitive answer. If you want to resubmit the question uh, the next time we do this, feel free. 
Um, Jeff says, who, in your opinion, are the least likely players to see in an Islanders jersey next season? Forward or D-man, whether by trade or letting contracts expire? Um, You know, it's going to be a very interesting call on Matt Martin after the season. Uh, You know, as his deal is up, but I think, as we've discussed on the podcast, I think uh, Barry Trotz is certainly would push Lou to to keep that third line, uh, fourth line intact for at least one more season, and then I, I believe Sezikis is a UFA, and then you really have some uh, decisions to make as uh, you know guys like Otto Koivula come up through the uh, the pipeline, and, and just going through, I I, I do think. The parameters are the salary cap's going to be flat. A lot of teams are going to be looking to shed salary. It's not going to be easy. You know, if you just look at the contracts, you look at a guy like Letty, you know, certainly a guy like Boychuk, or certainly a guy like Komarov, and, and you would think, you know, in normal circumstances, maybe that's where the Islanders could save a little money if they could move those types of contracts. I don't know if they're going to be able to. Uh, I, I've said this before, Scotty Mayfield is on a very, very, very reasonable contract and would be attractive to other teams. Uh, you know, as much as I, I think the Islanders like him, uh, if they had to move a defenseman, I think a lot of teams would be interested in Scott Mayfield. You know, just going through the rest of the line, I uh, Derek Broussard on a one-year deal. Um, you know, you got Oliver Wallstrom, you got Kiefer Bellows. Uh, you probably want to open up a spot on a wing. You know, in two years, is a guy like Josh Bailey going to be made eligible for the expansion draft when the Seattle Kraken come in? But that's uh, two years down the road. Um, I know Andy Green wants to continue his career, and he's going to be a UFA. You know, I know Lou would probably have interest in re-signing a guy like Andy. I know how much uh, regard he has for Andy, but... uh, you know, I, I don't know if Andy comes back under a flat cap. And, uh, you know, probably he might want to go someplace, although, you know, his family is entrenched in the area. He's from Michigan. You know, he played for Jersey all those years. Uh, Andy might, you know, I, I don't know what kind of guaranteed playing time he might see for next season. So maybe Andy moves on as well. Um, it, it's certainly going to be an interesting and a very compact off season with a lot of decisions, uh, you know, both in terms of player quality and, and contract quality that have to be made. Buff Sprain says, how much of a pay cut, if any, do you expect players to see with the flat cap? And do players who would have signed seven, eight years now sign for shorter? I, I do think, you know, the, the, the seven, eight year contracts are probably not going to be as, uh, you know, not as many of those. I, I, I do agree with that. As a percentage of a pay cut, you know, guys that are looking for 10 million. Are you going to be able to sign them for 8 million? Uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, certainly escrow and all that to, to worry about. Um, if you're asking me for a percentage of a pay cut, I, you know, I'm bad at percentages, but I'm thinking, you know, the defenseman was looking for 6 million. He might have to take five or, or five, two. I, I do think you're going to see players taking significantly less than they, they would have had this pandemic not come along. Daniel Langer says, do you see any lineup changes uh, just to keep some guys fresh? And if you're talking specifically about game four, uh, Barry Trotz is not really the type of coach to change his lineup if things are, are, are going well. And I think he looks at how the Islanders are playing with that defensive structure, how they're kind of rolling those four lines and how they're you know, certainly winning the battles five on five. Uh, I, I, I expect to see the same lineup for game four. Steve says, where is Michael Dalcole and when do you anticipate uh, next regular season starting? Well, the NHL uh, would like to start next regular season on December 1st. That's what the league is saying. I am just looking around at what's going on in this country and, uh, you know, I'm not a huge optimist that out of the bubble structure, I know MLB is struggling through their season. We'll see what 
happens with the NFL, I just I just have a hard time seeing the NHL managing to send its teams all over North America and keeping them as safe as possible, honestly. You know, so I, I, to me, December 1st is, is very optimistic. Uh, you know, and but but again, if, you know, if they don't start December first, when would they start? You know, maybe they start and they finally can't finish. I I don't know. I I, I have a lot of questions about what happens once the NHL tries to play outside of a bubble. Um, Bill Both uh, says, "What do you see as a way to liven up the power play?" You know, I I, I do think. It's a matter of uh, directing a few more pucks at the net. And I know, you know, you don't want to get your shot blocked and, and have it go the other way. But uh, but at a certain point, uh, when, when you're going along a 1-for-14 in the series, and, and Barry Trotz talked about, uh, you know, uh, the timing was just a little bit off on some chances today. And to me, that means that maybe the Islanders are trying to make one extra pass here or there or skating around with the puck a little bit more than they should. Uh, I, I just think they really need to have much more of a, a you know, a shoot first mentality uh, on both power play units. Um, as far as personnel changes, you know, uh, Barry's got the players he has. Um, I don't really see, you know, the personnel. Maybe, you know, flip-flop some players back and forth between units. You know, Pajot, Broussard going from one to the other. You know, Devontae's. Is he playing with Nelson's unit? Is he playing with uh, Barzell's unit? I think the personnel is what the personnel is. And, uh, you know, just more pucks have to go on net. And uh, the Islanders have to you know, have some more chances at rebounds there. Um, Robert uh, Kuprian says, do you think Boychuk gets back in or is it now Andy Green's job to lose? And I, I think Barry Trotz has shown you that it is now Andy Green's job to lose. And uh, Andy has done nothing to lose it since he's gotten into the lineup. Uh, Jake Middaw says, will the Islanders change up lines to give a few guys rest going into next series or ride the current roster? I think, like I just said, Barry is going to uh, keep riding this lineup as long as they keep winning. Julian Rodriguez wants to know, what has Ilya Sorokin been up to during this playoff drive? Any news on how he's getting acclimated to the system and to his teammates? And, uh, you know, he's... He's practicing uh, with the with the aces, you know, the the guys that you see as healthy scratches, you know, the Andrew Lads, the Otto Koivulas, the Michael Dal Calls, uh, Noah Dobsons, uh, Sebastian Ajo, Thomas Hickey, you know, th- those guys, uh, you know, that's who Ilya Sorokin is probably uh, seeing a lot of time uh, practicing against, and he's getting a lot of time working with the uh, director of goaltending, Mitch Korn, and uh, goalie coach, Piero Greco. A- as to how he's getting acclimated, the Islanders are not necessarily answering questions on Ilya Sorokin right now. Um, they, are, they are not, I, I do not believe they're going to make him available to the media during this time. Lou, uh, Lou made it very clear as he answered one or two Ilya Sorokin questions the last time uh, he spoke to the media that he sees any Ilya Sorokin questions as a distraction to what the Islanders are trying to do in the playoffs. So as a result, uh, you know, the edict has come down that the Islanders will not be talking about Ilya Sorokin uh, since he is not on the active roster. Um, Mark Diet says, I would love to know more of a player and coach thoughts on Tom Wilson. We as fans worry how he will injure players. How does the team react to him? Well, you know, I, I think you saw how the certainly Anders Lee reacted to him uh, in Game 1. Tom Wilson challenged him to a fight, and uh, Anders gladly accepted there. Um, you know, Tom Wilson is, is a very tough player to go against. He certainly throws his body around, sometimes with reckless abandon. That's been his reputation. Um, at the same time, we, we have talked to Barry Trotz about Tom Wilson often. And Barry Trotz gets a lot of credit 
Um, now I know that's something Islander fans probably, you know, don't want to hear, but Trotz has, takes, you know, gets a lot of credit for developing Tom Wilson really into one of these guys who would only, you know, a fourth liner who would only go around throwing his weight around and uh, getting into scraps into a guy that the, that the Capitals use consistently on the top line and is, is, is a productive player on the top line. Um, you know, and that's something that Barry Trotz has talked about wanting uh, to try and develop Ross Johnson uh, like that. And so, you know, uh, Barry talks about Ross, you know, maybe developing into, you know, an Anders Lee type of player, power forward. Um, but certainly Tom Wilson is, is, a, is a model there as well for what Tom has developed into. Barry Trotz has a lot of good things to say about Tom Wilson, as hard as that is to hear. Um, he likes him as a person. He likes him as a player. He, he finds him tough against, I'm sure, a lot of players around the league privately would say that, you know, at, at times Wilson has made a lot of questionable plays uh, that they don't appreciate. Uh, players certainly do have reputations around the league, but, you know, for the most part, uh, players are, are keeping that to themselves. Robert Stevenson uh, says, what will it take for the rest of the NHL to wake up to the fact that the Islanders are for real? And uh, honestly, I would say it would take the Islanders getting past the second round into the conference final. Um, I, I think that would uh, make a lot of people stand up. Although, you know, if they can complete a sweep of the Capitals or dispatch the uh, the Capitals in the first round, that that is certainly something, you know, to take notice about. But you got to follow it up in the second round. And I think what happened last year was everyone looked at that sweep over the Penguins is like, ooh, look at that. And then the Hurricanes swept and it was like, ah, look at that, you know. Matt says the Isles were fairly decisive uh, the first uh, games. Uh, as a post-mortem, what broke down this game or were the Caps playing more desperate? You know, I, I think it's as simple. You know, I know Barry talked about some things getting a little bit loose in the second and third periods uh, defensively. Uh, you know, I don't think he was thrilled with the... You know, some of the neutral zone work and maybe some of the uh, decisions, uh, uh, defensive zone, or, or even, you know, trying to uh, gain the blue line and, and get across. But overall, I, I wouldn't say much broke down in this game. I, I thought, you know, the Islanders started strong in game three. And when the game was being played five on five, I thought the Islanders were the better team. I mean, it, it does come down to special teams. There's no doubt the Islanders are going to have to be better on special teams going forward. And, and you know what? If if I'm a capital or if I'm Todd Reardon, I, I'm a little curious as to why the Capitals were not playing more desperate. I mean, it's not all about the Islanders taking everything away from them. Uh, it, it seems to me that the, the, the Capitals have been ground down, uh, that, that, that desperation you thought you were going to see out of the Capitals today, just, you know, it just never oozed through as much as you would have liked, you know, if you're rooting for the Capitals, certainly. Matt Osteritz says, if the Islanders do close out the Capitals, who do you think they'd prefer to see in the next round? Only options being the Flyers, Bruins, Hurricanes, and Blue Jackets. Well, you know, I... I I don't think the Islanders, I don't think players think like that as, as you recede. Uh, if you're asking me, I, you know, the, the Flyers are going to be a tough out. Um, you know, they're just going to be a tough out. And, and, and the Hurricanes are pesky. Uh, the, the Blue Jackets are certainly pesky. And, you know, the Bruins... You know, the Bruins were the one team that everyone went into the playoffs thinking the Islanders were not going to match up well against. You know, the thing is, I, you know, I, I know you're asking me for an answer here. Who do you think they prefer to see in the next round? Again, the players don't think like that. I think, uh, you know, the Islanders could certainly match up well against the Blue Jackets. You know, that's going to, it's not going to be the most fun series to watch. I'll tell you that. And it's going to be a lot of 2-1 and, you know, defensive hockey. But uh, those are two teams that play a very, very similar style. 
I think the Islanders would not mind seeing the Hurricanes either, just to see if they could, uh, you know, uh, avenge last season. But but again, you know, the Islanders are confident against uh, Boston, and they they've done it well against the Flyers. Uh, I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, if I had to choose, you know, I I I'd take on the Flyers. I, I really would. I, I know it might be the the toughest matchup, but uh, you're going to have to play the best at some point. So. Uh, you know, why not? Let's see. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm not making a political statement here. Um, uh, the, the, the Twitter tag is incompetent lying Trump must go. Uh, why did Trotz really leave the caps after the cup? Was it just for more money or something in addition? The fact is that, you know, as we talked about with uh, Colin and Neil, um, Barry's contract was up. Um, you know, the rumors had been there through the whole season that regardless of what the Capitals did in the playoffs in 2018, the Capitals were going to turn to Todd Reardon uh, following the season. Uh, once Trotz's contract was up, management and, uh, you know, uh, the GM McClellan had just decided that, you know, they would be more comfortable with Todd Reardon as the coach. Now, the Capitals did make a contract offer to Barry, but it was it was not one that Barry thought took into account the fact that he had just won the Stanley Cup, you know, and, you know, it, it could very well be it was a, a contract offer that the Capitals knew he would decline. Um, you know, so Barry becomes a free agent. He gets a nice contract out of the... Uh, out of the Islanders, but honestly, I, I think, you know, if management would have had Barry back and was going to pay him as a Stanley Cup winning coach um, or offered him a contract that he did not see as a contract designed to make him leave, I, I think he would have been back with the Caps. But I, I just think it was something where the Caps thought it was time to move on. Let's see, and we'll go to Steeple 202. Do you think Martin and Clutterbuck will be back next season? Well, Clutter has a contract, so uh, yes, I, I do expect him back. Martin is a UFA, and, and like I mentioned before, I sort of feel like the, the Islanders, if Martin, if Maddie is amenable to it, they might offer him a one-year deal uh, to come back because you, know, you get one more year out of that fourth line with Casey and Matt and Clutterbuck, um, and then I think you have a real decision because Casey becomes a UFA after that. And I, I think that might be en the end of that fourth line when Casey's contract comes up. Um, I could see uh, Martin back uh, on a one-year deal for next season. And then we will, <laughs> we will wrap up with JC, who says, Andrew, please come up with better post-game questions. And you know what? Only because you asked so nicely, from this moment forth, every one of my post-game questions will be absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, I'm telling you. So tune in. And uh, with that, that is the end of Andrew's Answers. That is the end of Island Ice, episode 44. Thank you so much for coming along on this ride. And uh, we will have another episode up, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, shortly once we find out what happens with the rest of this uh, Capitals first round series. But until then, uh, please, everyone, be safe, be healthy. Uh, please Go to newsday.com backslash sports. You can find all the Islander stories there. You can find all the Island Ice podcasts there. You can go to Apple. You can go to Google. You can go to Spotify. You can go wherever podcasts are found. You can find Island Ice. And hopefully I can find you back here uh, for the next episode. And until then, happy hockey, everybody.